0: I just want you to know I empathize with you. I know that's a miserable feeling when you're driving or you're in church or whatever it is, and and you know you want to stay awake and 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 uh, it's just hard to do sometimes. It reminded me of a story that I read uh, just very recently. Jimmy G is a a missionary in Tanzania, and in his monthly report uh, that or weekly report that he sent out this week, he he has several children, and and one of his children is five years old, and and his name is Elijah. And, and Elijah, right after church was over, he turned to his brother and he said, you're right. And so that got everybody's attention. They looked to see what he was right about. And he says, you're right. When you sleep in church, it does go by really fast. <laughs> and so... Maybe this morning at least it was a faster service than than normal. But what a wonderful day, what a wonderful way to begin the year, uh, to be able to begin the year and worship to God. I'm so thankful for Philip and for Tim and for John Michael and for Doug Williams uh, for filling in preaching and in Bible classes over the last few weeks. And it was good to be away and it's good to be back. Uh, I'm thankful that the New Year's Eve, Eve lock-in that our young people went on was a great success. A lot of kids uh, were in attendance. A lot of adults helped, and we're thankful for the Jenkins and for all that they do and all that work with our kids, and we're thankful for our young people. What a blessing they are to the life of this congregation today, and we look forward to seeing all the great things they'll do in the future. I'm really excited about the plan from the beginning that is a weekly Bible study but it's broken down so that you can read it on a daily basis and I'm really excited that on Wednesday night we can be a part of a Bible class that will strengthen what we study during the week and I just want to give you a reminder to pick up one of these if you haven't yet they're in the seals and they're scattered throughout the four year and this will be the first quarter and there'll be three more following throughout the year and I want to encourage you that if you want to be a part of that class it will continue to meet Uh, this coming Wednesday, in the fellowship room. And so please, please, I beg you this year, do not accept the fact the Bible is hard for me to understand. This is your opportunity to read a few chapters throughout the week and then go into a class and better learn What you have tried to learn on your own. And if you will stick with that for a year, you think of how much knowledge you can have at the end of this year that you simply do not have right now. And so I want to make sure to remind you of that, and I hope all of us will accept the challenge that we will not close out, if the Lord wills us time, we will not close out the end of 2012 with the same or less knowledge, but we will increase, we will advance in our knowledge toward God. And also let us all continually be prayerful of the appointment of our elders and deacons that have been placed before us. Let's make sure that we are very sober in this and if we were to look at the examples in the scriptures, it would be good to fast as we pray. And let's make sure that we use this time as a time to beseech God's blessings. We're thankful for these men. We're thankful for their wives and for their families and we're mindful of the great responsibility that they are considering at this point in time and we want... Uh, God's blessing in all of this. We want God's will to be done. Some of you will know this picture, and I know it's a lot of distance between me and you, but this is the Tennessee Farmers Co-op sends out a magazine uh, throughout the year, and this is January's edition of it. and, And on the back page here is a picture of Jeff Douglas. Now, Jeff and Lorinda and their sons Visit here or it's kind of unusual in the sense it's, it's strange to say visit because they're with us regularly except their membership is not here. They're a member of the Lord's Church in Franklin, Kentucky. They live in Mount Juliet, and they have a farm uh, north of here. And so many times on the weekends they worship in Kentucky, but oftentimes they're here on Wednesday nights with us. And then one reason why you don't see him as often as you see them is because he is an airline pilot for Delta, a uh, transcontinental pilot for Delta. But in this magazine that has just come out, the very back page is always about a particular farmer. And they did a a special this month on Jeff. And, And what is interesting is it talks about two loves that are in his life. From the time he was a little boy, he loved farming and he loved flying. His father worked in the towers, the control towers at the airport. And, and during his boyhood, his father was transferred here to Berry Field in Nashville. And, and so as a boy, he bought a radio where he could lay in bed at night and listen to the air traffic controllers give, give uh, directions to the planes as they were landing and taking off. And because of his interest in flying, one day his senior year, his father called him and said, hey... I've just acquired a jump seat for you. And this was back in the days when the jump seat could be in the cockpit. And he says, I've just acquired a jump seat for you in the cockpit. You'll be leaving Nashville in just a few minutes and flying to Denver. Come on down to the airport. He said, I sat in that seat and I didn't open my mouth once. And I kept my eyes wide open the whole time. And he said, it was during that flight that I said to myself, I'm going to be a pilot. Later on, he paid a man $30 to take him up in his private plane. He began taking lessons. He worked UPS handling packages so that he could afford to buy a small plane and accumulate hours. He volunteered to, to transport blood to gain more hours and then finally was hired as a small commuter pilot. And then eventually in 1987, Delta hired him. It is always amazing to me to hear stories like that, not that Jeff is now a pilot, but it's amazing for me when I hear these stories of individuals that can take a direction in their life all the way back to one moment. We're sitting in a jump seat of a plane, a senior in high school. He said, this is what I want to do for the rest of my life. I don't know if there's anybody here tonight that will take back their life to this service and this study of Ephesians 3. But I want to ask you a question that it sounds so basic. But I hope by the time we finish this lesson tonight, you'll realize the depth and the height and the length and the width of this question. Do you love God? I mean, really. Do you love God? What sacrifices will you make when you love someone more than anyone else? What relationship do you have and do you feel when you love someone more than anyone else. Faith is important. Hope is important. But Paul says of these three, the greatest of these is love. When John was writing as an elderly man, John wrote and said, if we do not love, we do not know God. For God is love, 1 John 4 and 8. When the lawyer came to Jesus and said, which of the commandments is the greatest? Jesus didn't have to hesitate. He didn't have to to beat around the bush to say, "That's, that's a real tough question. It was real easy for Jesus to say, you want the greatest commandment? I'll give you the greatest. It's love God with all of your heart and your soul and your mind. And the second, love your neighbor As yourself. And when Paul was listing inspired by the Holy Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit, there's a reason why, of the characteristics of the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5, that love is the first one that's listed. Because love is greater than all the other characteristics. And when Paul was talking about this resurrected life that we have in Jesus Christ, in Colossians 2, he says we've been baptized into Christ. And then in Colossians 3, now that we've been risen, seek those things which are above. And he talks about the things that we put out of our life. And then he talks about the things that we bring into our life. And he talks about beautiful things like tender mercy and loving kindness. And and he talks about forgiveness. But then he goes to the end of that passage and he says, but above all these things, love. Do you love God? If we truly love God, it's going to change the way we love others. And if we truly love God, it will even change the way we love ourselves. And when we think about Paul writing to the people of Ephesus, these were the people that he spent three years with. These were people that Paul... Loved deeply and dearly. And so he can't help as he's writing to break in the first chapter towards the end to say, Let me tell you what I've been praying about you. And then he writes some more in the second and the third chapter, and he can't close the third chapter without saying, Let me tell you some more of what I've been praying about you. And I'd like for you to look here in Ephesians, the third chapter. And tonight, we'll look at various aspects of this prayer, but intentionally, we'll try to move a little bit quicker through the parts that gets us right to the very core, or in other words, the very middle of this prayer. And the middle of this prayer is about love, and we'll slow down there for just a moment, and, and, and we will try to gain what Paul is trying to teach us about this beautiful topic. When you think about the great successful apostle, missionary, preacher, teacher, friend, Christian, the great apostle Paul. Notice how he says in verse 14, for this reason I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. Isn't it awesome that that you could go up to Paul and say, Paul, why do you pray? And Paul could say, oh, I can tell you the reason I pray. And we're going to receive from this teaching's reasons that Paul prays. And it's not full of earthly and temporal things that are surface in nature. Although if those are concerns to us, God wants us to take our concerns to him in 1 Peter 5 and 7. But we need to make sure that that's not the fullness of our prayers. Hopefully all of us here as we read this, we could say, That sounds a lot like my prayers. And if it doesn't, hopefully we would say, I want to learn to pray like that. I want to pray deeper prayers that are... And what I mean by deeper is it pertains to things that's not earthly. It pertains to spiritual things, things that aren't temporal. It it, it pertains to eternal things. And so he says, for this reason, I bow my knees. The posture here is bowing the knees. Very common in the scriptures, we read that, that individuals bowed their knees... If you haven't bowed your knees lately in prayer, I'm not saying that's the only way for your prayers to be heard. I'm simply saying that's one of the teachings in the Word of God is to bow your knees in prayer. And I encourage you sometime this week to bow your knees in prayer and pray for our church family and pray for the great decisions that are being made right now. As he bows his knees in prayer... He begins this prayer by addressing the Father. And notice, it's not only the Father of the heavens and the earth, but it's also that all of these, or this family, is named. Do you love God? Do you wear His name as a child that loves Him? Isn't it a blessing that throughout the ages... God's children have been able to call themselves the the sons of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That's honorable, isn't it? But how much more honorable is it to be able to say, we're not just sons of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? We're sons of God. We're daughters of God. His name we bear with great honor, loyalty, and respect. But notice as we continue reading here in verse 16 that he would grant you, so God would grant you of Ephesus according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Now pause there for a moment. Notice that both of these phrases list two members of the Godhead and really three members of the Godhead because the prayer is to God and he's talking about the inner person to be strengthened by the Holy Spirit and then he's talking that the heart would have a place for Christ to dwell it's so easy for us to get wrapped up in the outward things. You know, I've read a few articles this week and studying for lessons today about New Year's resolutions. And, and, and we, could, we could, if this was a Bible class, I could throw out and you could jump on it just like that. What is the most often New Year's resolution that's made? You know what it is. And you hadn't done a very good job the last couple of weeks on it, have you? Lose weight. And, and the second one is usually Get fit. And then behind that in the top 10 is always stop smoking, stop drinking, about building relationships and, and finding a new hobby and things like that. But, but think about it, especially the idea of, hey, I want to lose weight or I want to get fit. Notice how those things, it's easy for those things to pertain only to earthly things. Now, if our motive was different in the sense that we recognize that this body is the temple of God and we want to take care of this body because we love God and His temple. Now, that's a different approach to that. But here's the point that I want to remind you of. You probably know this story. If not, go back to 1 Samuel and read it. You remember when David was being anointed king? And remember when Samuel was sent in to Jesse's town? And, and you remember he asked him about his sons. Bring your sons before him. He brought the first son, Eliab, and he brought him before him. And, and Samuel literally says, he knows that this is going to be God's anointed. Apparently, he just had that look. He's the oldest son, and, and he just had that look. He's going to be a king. And you remember, it was there that God told him, you don't look at, God doesn't look at individuals like man does. Man looks on the outer appearance. God looks at the heart. Paul, what are you praying about? And he says, I'm praying for your heart. I want your heart to be a place God can dwell. Dwell means abode, make a home. Now, I know sometimes we say this tongue in cheek, and, and, and so I'm, I'm not, that, that is what it is. But is there a greater meaning behind it? How many times have you heard someone say, Oh, you can't say that inside the church building. Or you're standing beside an elder and somebody says, You can't say that with an elder here. Or, or you're standing beside a, a preacher. You can't say that with the preacher here. Now, we understand that's tongue-in-cheek sometimes, but listen. What would you say if Jesus Christ not was just standing here? What would you say if He dwelt in your heart? If you took Christ and your inner person that is strengthened by the Holy Spirit to school and to work and to your community and you realize that there's someone a lot more important than any man on this earth in your presence at all times, how would it change your life? How would it change to know that Christ is abiding Within your heart. That's his prayer. He wants them to live. Making a place for Christ to dwell within that inner person. Being strengthened by the Holy Spirit. But now notice the last part of verse 16. Or the last part of verse 17 where he says. Through faith that you being rooted and grounded in love. May be able to comprehend with all the saints. What is the wit? and the length, and the depth, and the height, to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. His prayer is for them to comprehend. Comprehend what? It appears since it talks about love, and then it is to comprehend the width, and the length, and the depth, and the height, And to know the love of Christ that passes knowledge, it appears that this comprehension that he is praying about is for them to comprehend the love of Christ. What difference would it make in your life if you understood how great God's love is for you? What difference would it make? And what if you realize that when you receive that love, you now have the capacity to love in the same grandness because... That love's been given to you to share. How much does God love? Have you tried to comprehend that? I'm not suggesting it's easy, but I am saying to you from Scripture, we would be wrong to not try to comprehend it. Notice, our faith is to be rooted and grounded. I wonder how many times we, we let the weekend come and we realize that our faith doesn't have very deep roots. I wonder how many times we get on the computer and we realize that that our faith doesn't have very deep roots. I wonder how many times we get around the wrong circle of friends and then we recognize our faith doesn't have very deep roots. I wonder how many times we find ourselves getting in a rut that is pulling us away from God and we, we come to realize our faith doesn't have very deep roots. And here's the point that I want you to grasp tonight if you've never noticed it. It's not that faith has roots in faith. Listen, as great as the faith That's from Ephesians also, Ephesians 4, the faith. Where does the faith come from? It's a system of belief that comes from Romans 10 and 17, the word of God. How important is the faith? It's real important. The church. How important is the church? It's the body of Christ. It's real important. But how important is love? Our faith is not rooted in faith. Our faith is rooted in love. How much do you love God? Do you love God enough that your love is so deep that the roots can be deep? And the grounding, the settling in of that faith can be deep. I'm so afraid that through the years I've overtaught the faith and undertaught the love. What have we converted someone to? If we've taught them only about this is a book, this is the Bible. And not talk about the love of God. And this is where we get our faith. And not talk about the almighty living God. The Christian faith is rooted in a living God. And if we miss the fact that it's about a relationship with the living God, there are no roots that will sustain our life. The roots of faith are so important. But if you go back and read 1 Corinthians 13, 1, 2, and 3, what we find out is all the gifts that God gives us without love is nothing. We can have the revelation of knowledge and all Uh, and the understanding of all knowledge and all prophecy, and we can even have faith that can move mountains, and without love, what does he say? You are nothing. We can be so generous that we give all of our goods, and we can even give our body to be burned, but without love, it is nothing. How are we supposed to understand it? I don't know exactly. I wish I could stand up here right now and give you a simple one, two, and three. This is how you understand the love of God. But I do think about it this way. When we go back to Romans 1 and 20, He tells us that it is in the creation that all the invisible attributes of God are clearly seen about His eternal power and His Godhead. Now, if you miss that, if you're like, I didn't get exactly what that means, what that's saying is, Paul says in Romans 1 20, that we can look at the vast creation of this universe and of this earth and of our very beings, and when we see that, we can see that God is eternal and that He is almighty and powerful and, and the Godhead. The power of the Godhead. How? How is it you can see the universe and understand the grandness of God? If I held a cup of water up before you right now and I said, what does it take to have a being that can create a cup of water? You probably wouldn't be impressed. But What about if you and I were in a space shuttle and we flew over this earth and we saw the Pacific Ocean? It covers over one-third. That one body of water covers over one-third of our Earth's surface. It's 70 million square miles of water. Can you imagine saying, I'm going to go out to the Pacific Ocean with some containers and I'm just going to dip it dry. You have thousands and hundreds thousands and millions and, and, and trillions and quadrillions and quintillions The Pacific Ocean is 187 quintillion gallons of water. That's a number so large none of us can imagine it. What's the point? Do you see the love of God like a little Dixie cup of water? Or do you see the love of God as a Pacific Ocean? How grand, how majestic, how powerful does a being have to be when that's just one body of water that He has made? How wide and how long is it? What about the depth? The Mariana Trench is the deepest point on this earth. When we take out in the Pacific Ocean, the continental shelf and then the continental slope, when you get to the Mariana Trench, the continental slope just doesn't seem to have an end. It goes down 37,000 feet a book that was recently written to talk about the 10 most incredible land formations on this earth. This one is ranked number four. It's 44 miles wide and submarines use it as their passageway north and south in the Pacific Ocean. Friends, the depth of it just boggles the minds of those that study the ocean and and to see what can live at that great depths, only God could create it. I know if you're in my generation, at one point or another, because of Bugs Bunny and those grand shows that we had, you tried to dig a hole to China, didn't you? (laughs) How far did you get on your trench? Did you get six inches? Maybe you were ambitious and you you got down to six feet. God decided to stop his trench at 37,000 feet. And if he wanted to go another 37,000, it would be no problem. He's that big. He's that grand. And the highest point on this earth, Pikes Peak, 29,035 feet tall. So grand that even with all of the advancements that we have of technology today, still there's only about 3,500 people that have ever climbed to the summit of this mountain. And so many don't make it. On the best years, only one of every 16 attempts ended in fatalities. On the worst years, one out of every six ended in fatalities. Why? Because it's that high. When we try to understand how big God is could there be a better illustration than to know that it was God who created that star Betelgeuse? That star that is a thousand times larger than our sun. If you place that star equal to our sun, it would pass through Mercury and Venus and Earth and then it would go on over to Mars and cover Jupiter. Friends, are you imagining this? It's real, but can you imagine? Can you imagine one structure that God spoke into existence that's that large. We sometimes go to places on this earth and we look at Pike's Peak and we say, wow, how big God is. Friends, that's nothing. That's nothing. We look across the ocean and we say, how big God? That's nothing. God has star after star after star that would dwarf anything our minds can imagine. I can't say this for certainty, but I believe it myself. Why didn't God just make this earth and just us? Why all the grandness of the mountains and the oceans and the universe? I believe the grandness of all of that is what Paul meant in Romans 1 when he says, when you see all of that, you see how big how powerful our God is. And now I'll remind you that big, powerful God is love. Can you try to comprehend the width and the length and the depth In the height of God's love. When I say to you tonight that God loves you, can you try to fathom that? God loves you. Can you comprehend that? Can you comprehend all that God has in store for you? all the blessings that he wants to give you not just now but for eternal to eternity and then that brings it back to us do we love god if we described our love would it be like a Dixie cup or would it be like an ocean If we described our love, would it be like a little trench? Would it be like the Mariana Trench? If we described our love, would it be like a a little rock that you'd hold in your hand? Or would it be like a rock that's named Mount Everest? Or would it be like a little star that you took off your Christmas tree? Or would it be like betelgeuse? Sometime our faith may seem to not have the roots that it needs. And tonight, I must hear God as God says, the roots of your faith has to be in love. Do you love God enough to say yes when it's time to say yes? Yes. Do you love God enough to say no when it's time to say no? Do you love God enough to make whatever sacrifices needs to be made because you love Him and He loved you? Tonight, we extend an invitation. It's because of God's love that we can do this. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. Have you received that gift? Do you have any Christmas gifts that you didn't open? How offensive would that be when that person comes back by your house and see that you don't even care enough to open the gift? Do you realize what we've lost? When we have the gift of Jesus offered to us and we don't even receive Him? We don't accept Him. We don't love Him. We don't lay down our life before Him. Tonight, let's let 2012 be the year that we can honestly say, I started really grasping the love of God. The love of God changed my life, it gave my faith roots. It gave me substance and relationship. Tonight, it's because of the love of God that He invites you home. He just wants us to repent and return. Maybe you've never come home. He wants you to repent and confess His Son's name and be baptized into His Son for the remission of your sins don't leave here tonight without expressing your love for God maybe your life is right with God will you just leave here tonight saying I still want to comprehend even with more clarity God's love but if your life isn't right don't you recognize how much God loves you And won't you respond to that love? And give your faith roots. If we can help you in any way, come as we stand, as we sing.